You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Bohr. I'm one of your hosts, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Holly, how are you doing today? Hey, Robert. I am doing well. How are you? I'm I'm good. Yeah, I sometimes we come into these and we don't know what we're going to talk about, and I have a, a handful of questions <laughs> that I think we could talk about. So awesome! Oh, I love it. That's good. Yeah. Well, what's been happening? You know, in the past couple or the past week before you know I get into my icebreaker questions. Oh man, I, I the last week has been good. Um, we I know we we didn't even get much of a chance to like touch base before recording this episode because. Because this is, you know, it's just kind of been a busy season. But um, yeah. I, yeah, I just got in pretty late last night from a, a meeting with some of our previous guests. So um, Ken Pargament and Michelle Pierce and Cassandra Vieden and I met up in um, Baltimore just for a day long meeting with a couple of other colleagues. And um, yeah, we're just wrapping up that grant that we had talked about before so so that's been good like getting that kind of wrapped up and um getting to see them and then you know I'm also getting ready this week I've got my tenure review meeting my last one before it's all done and so actually when this episode comes out the day it comes out I will be in that's the day of my last meeting so so I'm really excited for that and just an opportunity to um to you know gather with my senior colleagues and talk about uh, the last five and a half years at Baylor. So yeah, that's so good. Yeah. But what about you? What have y'all been up to lately? Um, not nothing too exciting, not a lot of traveling or anything like that. Like, you know, we had, we talked about last week, but you know, we're headed into the holiday season, which relates obviously to the, the yeah. topic today. But I'm excited for the kind of whole season. It's one of my favorite, just that whole last chunk of time of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I love it. So, yes. Yeah, yeah. I remember us talking about it a little bit last year and, yeah. you know, just how excited you get around this time. And I'm right there with you. This is a, a sweet time of year. So, yeah. yeah. Well, let me ask you this Uh-oh. What time is your Thanksgiving meal? Oh, oh! I don't know. You know what? This is a pretty true to to, <laughs> to to just me, I guess. Is that we have no idea. It is not planned, and we. Have, <laughs> I actually was just texting with my sister last night when I landed from Baltimore. Like, hey, are you coming on Wednesday or Thursday or what's happening? Yeah. And <laughs> so we have no idea. What about y'all? Is this- well, what time is it? What time is it like normally? Do you like, you know, whenever we Thanksgiving meal, what do you think? We, I think of everybody rushing in the door to finally like transitioning from whatever they've been doing to finally being together. Um, we don't, we don't, we usually have it a little bit like in the middle of the afternoon. Um, but, um, but yeah, we don't, we're just happy to have folks show up and be with us and spend time with us. So yeah. I don't know. So it, yeah, but then we just eat like all day long. So yeah. yeah. What about yeah. y'all? 
Well, I think this year, like four-ish or something like that, based on uh-huh. we're trying to, you know, figure out a couple small children's schedules and naps and things oh like that. Oh my gosh, that's right. But yes. I, that's why I asked because you, you, you said middle <laughs> of the afternoon, right? Yeah. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't get it. I want somebody to tell me if they know, I want somebody to like send us an email and explain to me why Thanksgiving dinner is it like three in the afternoon because that's not a dinner time. <laughs> yeah. And it's the worst. Yeah, although I could totally see the argument being that the food is so good that if you there's a way to like get first dinner at three o'clock and then like second dinner at like seven or something like that, because I feel like that's usually what happens in our home. <laughs> we just grade yeah. all day long because it's so good. Yeah, I would make that argument for like if we're having tacos for dinner though, as well, <laughs> that that is so good that we should be able to eat it twice. Oh gosh, but no, no, no. Just, you know, I want someone, if there's some history there, probably Ben Franklin's <laughs> involved, that dude loved tacos and messing with time, or turkey and messing with time. That's awesome. But. No, I, yeah. I'm just, I'll be honest though, I'm really excited just that we're having some family who is going to be are actually going to be coming over to our house. We, um, my family, you know, as you know, they kind of all moved out to Atlanta. Um, you know, I don't know, like so five you're years next. ago. Come on. No, 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 no. Actually, but that's the thing. My sister just moved back to Texas, and I don't know that she, I don't know, but she just moved out to Texas. So I think we're going to kind of all come back this way. But um, anyway, so I'm just I am excited for. Like just to have Thanksgiving with my sister again and her husband and their kids and um yeah. What about yeah. y'all? How do y'all do it? Do you spend like do you go do you do Thanksgiving at your house? Do you go over to family members' homes? What do y'all do? Uh, so last year was the first year that we hosted. Obviously, we had Gray and he's very small, and so this year we're just we're hosting again. Uh-huh. Um, but we're the kind of hosts where like. Like my parents will bring the turkey and then uh, like other people will bring other things. And so everyone kind of provides like one thing. Mm. We're not like the, we're hosting, so we're going to make all of it because that's. Oh, that's right. Much, no, that's like, not, that's impossible. We need to do all that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So we're hosting again this year. Oh, that's we'll so fun. Moving forward. I mean, I don't know. Especially with your brand new, big, beautiful table that y'all have too. Yeah, right? Yeah. So this will be the th- first Thanksgiving with that beautiful table. Mm, yeah, we won't have – I think last year we had our like very small table that we brought from our very small apartment. And then we had a yeah. a card table that we set up and we just like kind of, you know, put a big thing over both of them. So it kind of looked like one table, but they weren't – they didn't match. So Yeah. So this year we have one big table. That's so. awesome. Oh, that's yeah. so awesome. I love that. Well, let's – in the in kind of continuing the the conversation we're having because yeah. you and I both just mentioned having family around mm-hmm. and Thanksgiving and things like that right and mm-hmm. this this week we talk with Lanta Carroll who is a fellow Atlantan uh, I met her a couple of years back and she is a, a licensed counselor and also has an MDiv she works on staff at a church mm-hmm. um, and so she has kind of both of those aspects and she I saw this is here's you know a little bit of Inside yeah, the background. Yeah, how these how these episodes come around. Mm-hmm. I follow Lanta on Instagram, and she did a story a couple of weeks back about running like a five six week group on mm. grieving during the holidays, like for people that were uh, like a therapeutic group. And I saw it, and I thought we 
we need to talk about this. Like this is, mm. this would be a great episode. And so I just responded to the story and said, Hey, can, would you be willing to come on? And she said, yeah, of course. And mm. so then we, you know, we worked out the scheduling, but that's kind of so how it I came think to be. Yeah. 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 Um, so I think that's- it's, you know, as, as you and I are talking about having our families and stuff, I mean, obviously yeah. it's important to kind of pause and say that a lot of people maybe don't have family for a variety of reasons. Um, right or not everyone that they wish would be there will be there and things like that. And so um, I think Lanta does a great job kind of talking around that. Yeah, I I totally agree. I think she does a great job addressing that, but also just the various forms of grief and the complexity around grief and just how to, you know, take good care of you through this season and just be mindful and sensitive to that. Not only if you're taking care of you, but taking care of those around you who are struggling through the holiday season. I'm, I mean, I, I loved this conversation. I love to, uh, you know, actually connect with and meet Lanta through this chat, but I thought this was an important conversation. I'm really glad that you brought her on the show. Um, it's an important conversation for this time of year. So yeah, yeah. that's good. Well, we can transition in. Enjoy this episode with Lanta Carroll. Hey, we are so excited today to be joined by Lanta Carroll. Lanta is a licensed professional counselor as well as an ordained minister, currently on staff at a church here in the Atlanta area, as well as doing her counseling practice. She specializes in areas like grief and loss, spirituality, anxiety, depression, and more, as well as offering classes in mindfulness and hand lettering, which is so fun to watch like Mm. online, watch you talk about that. But Lanta, thank you for joining us today. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Aside from all the things that I just mentioned, is there anything else that our audience should know about you just as, you know, before we kind of get into it? Oh, gosh, I'm in toddler mom life. (laughs) So I feel like that informs like every moment and every, you know, every waking hour in this season as Robert, I know you can relate to for sure. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) With our little ones in that same age bracket. Uh, Her name is Riley and she'll turn two. In February. So mm. she uh, consumes our life in all the good and hard ways, both and, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's well, awesome. as I mentioned, you work as a counselor and have an MDiv and work on staff at a church for 10 years now. You've, yes. As you just mentioned to me before we started. What can I ask, like, kind of what got you into wanting to do both those things? Because a lot of times it's kind of one or the other, but you know, you're right here at this blend where we are. Yeah. What, how, what led you into that, that work? Gosh, you know, back in undergrad, I was doing um, the at Mercer in Macon. Their major was Christianity, but you know, in most undergrad experiences, that's the religion major. Yes, um, <laughs> and I started minoring in psychology, and it just became so fascinating to me that I stayed with all of the courses to the degree that it was like, oh, I could actually double major in this. Uh, so it's so funny, and I didn't know that I would be really inner finding that intersectionality but at the more you study both the easier it is to see where the blend is also where the nuance mm-hmm. is right and yeah. leaning into the mystery of the connection um, that lies within all of us of like how we belong to each other and the ways that our thoughts and the ways that we uh, find the mystery of God in the world around us like all of the different things that connect us. But I started off doing children's ministry and family ministry and really had a pretty sheltered life. And so there was this 
realization for me that I can't do children's ministry well if I don't have this mental health lens and an understanding of how to sit with and journey um, with families that are going through some really hard things that I hadn't experienced before. So that was kind of the pull into I really need to do like clinical mental health in addition to my seminary background. And I'm mm. so, so, so glad that I did. That's yeah, so I love good. you talking about that, that intersection yeah. and that blend. Cause I found the same thing. The more that I studied like counseling and psychology and all that, the more that I was like, how I'm, how I'm seeing this is like understanding how God created people and what the, you know, all sorts of that overlap. And so I love that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, so much of the heartbeat of this show is seeing that. So, so welcome, welcome. <laughs> I think yeah. you're in good company with this. And I, and I think it's beautiful that you notice this so early on too, because I think a lot of times folks, they, they kind of start with one and they stay in that space for a long time until they realize, oh, wait, this other part of people's lives is intricately connected to this, this area that I've been working in, whether you start in yeah. ministry or in the mental health field. Eventually, I think a lot of times folks, they do begin to see this, this intersection, but for you to have noticed it so, so early on, I think is amazing. So Yeah, I, it, I always kind of laugh that it just fell into my lap, even, you know, um, I'll give uh, some credit to just leaning into yeah. where God was calling me, but you know, God knows what God's up to. <laughs> Let's say it that yes. way. <laughs> yeah. That's so, so good. Well, I know today we especially want to be talking a little bit um, about grief and um, particularly around grief during the holiday season yeah. um, and the, all the complexity you know, that, that comes with this, this very heavy topic during a, a very complex time of year. So I think with that, we're, you know, we, we're curious, why is it so important to be talking about the role of grief? and the grieving process, particularly during the holiday season. Yeah, absolutely. Well, grief in general is something that culture too often denies our right to do. Yes, uh, we're not, culture just doesn't accept like that there's a process of grief that exists past the funeral, right? You mm -hmm. go back to work mm -hmm. and you, you have the funeral and you move on. But of course, once we approach holiday season that has so many rituals and traditions that are so intertwined into who we are as a family and our, who we're connected to, of course, it kind of makes those memories bittersweet when you're grieving the loss of a loved one. And whether that's fresh, somebody that you lost just this year, so you're approaching the first Thanksgiving or Christmas or any other holiday ritual that you honor or practice, um, if this is the first year without them present in it, of course, that is its own weight that we're carrying differently. But every year um, looks different after you've lost someone that you've loved and journeyed through life with. Mm. And um, I think in my own personal life, I've experienced a lot of loss right before kind of the holiday season. Um, my aunt passed away from terminal liver cancer in 2012 and, you know, right as fall was approaching. And then my grandmother two years ago, uh, that same time of year. So I think personally, I've also felt this, 
gosh, I'm going to miss, what am I going to miss about these people in my life as we approach each holiday season? So, you know, I think that we can all have, we all have our own unique stories in that way, right? Yeah. But I, th- I think just the way that we honor the, the part of us that is grieving and make space for it in a world and a culture that doesn't try to give us that room. Yeah. Well, and even you talking about there not being, you know, kind of this allowance of space, I think what most of us think of, and we we did an episode on this a few years back, but about the stages of grief, right? Like that's what most people kind of pops in their brain when they think right. about grief. And so, okay, you go through exactly. this very specific process and then you should in be In order. <laughs> yeah, right. you go through mm-hmm. them all in order and then you can check it off, right? Yeah. right. That clean and not and at easy all. and yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, of course, it's helpful to know what those stages are, but to make room for the nuance and the realization that we're each going to grieve in our own ways plays into it, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And especially during a, a season of time that we're getting into here, where there's so many kind of like, traditions and big impactful moments that you only maybe experience once a year. And so it's not like, you know, you're going about your day to day. And so you slowly kind of get used to your day to day without that person. If you've only, you know, decorated a Christmas tree once a year, and all of them have always been with someone. And now it's not, you know, it's, it's easy to imagine that that kind of comes back up every year anew. Absolutely. So what would if I'm a listener, and I am grieving someone, you know, personally, myself during these upcoming holiday seasons. I mean, what would you say in terms of navigating the next couple weeks, couple months that might be, you know, helpful? Yeah, definitely. I think the first thing is just make space to be mindful of your grief and notice if it is coming up in ways that you didn't anticipate. Of course, grief can surprise us when we think we're done grieving. It, It pops back up. And I think holidays like we're discussing are such a time where that's so relevant. So being mindful of it so that you can actually give yourself permission to grieve, because no matter how many times you've heard the you should be over it already from people who truly mean well, it's okay if you are still grieving, no matter how long ago you lost your loved one. And I think, again, the complexity of the holidays add to that. So I don't think you should have to just cover up your emotions to channel just joy uh, because it's the holidays. So it's normal and expected for grief to be such a long process. So no, you shouldn't be over it already. Um, It's okay to to grieve and just giving yourself that open permission. Um, I think setting healthy boundaries becomes important for this too. You know, I think there's a part of us that sometimes may feel like I have to go to all of the holiday functions or I have to show up with a smile on my face and, you know, it's okay not to do those things. Mm. Um, So taking time to notice really the things that are triggering to you so that you can be informed on what boundaries you need to set, I think plays into that. Yeah, I think that's really good. Well, and I think following up on that, do you have any, you know, what what advice would you give? I mean, just just in terms of thinking about like how to be mindful and attuned to like what those potential either those those triggers or those things that might cause um, that that reaction, like how you know, and being gentle and slow and through this process. I don't know. Do you have any 
any recommendations or ideas for folks just to kind of stay in that space and remind themselves to to be gentle through this season? Yeah, absolutely. You know, in mindfulness world, it's so much about like creating more and more space between like your active thought and feeling and like how much it can consume our headspace, right? So I mean, even if we're noticing like, okay, I'm observing that grief is coming up and it can maybe feel overwhelming right now. Okay, let me breathe through it. Let me honor any tears that are coming up yeah. in the here and now. Like, so you might just be in the aisle at Target. Okay, <laughs> you know, like honor what you need. If you need to step out and go into the car while you're doing whatever holiday shopping, like take a breath, anything that just helps slow down the thought and create a little more distance so you can still give yourself like space to move through that moment, but not suppressing it at the same time. And I think that's, we can so often confuse like creating space between ourselves and a thought as emotional suppression. Um, And they're not the same thing. So just honoring the part of us that needs to like take a, take a breather and really sit with whatever is coming up. And you know, I think we can quickly go into memory mode, like, oh, I'm in the aisle at Target crying because I'm remembering the time that I was with my mom when we were shopping for whatever we were going to get for my dad. You know, little things like that, that just Mm. surprise us and we're not expecting them to come. So if we can be attuned to where that emotion's coming from and knowing that it fits the facts, it's valid to feel this overwhelming sense of grief that's triggering us in that moment, even though it may not seem valid to anybody else. Hmm. If we can learn how to validate it within ourselves and know that it, it comes from a place of, of love. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I was going to ask in navigating some of the boundary things and, you know, we're talking about things that can trigger these painful memories. There's obviously some things that maybe you would say, okay, I just can't, maybe I don't, I can't do that yet. Like it's everything's still too strong. So maybe I'm not going to go do this activity. But then other things you say, this is going to be hard, but maybe it's worth going to the family dinner anyway, even though that's going to be really hard because there's people there that I want to see and we can kind of grieve together. Do you have any uh, thoughts on, you know, kind of navigating which things are maybe like, okay, kind of avoid things and which things are still maybe beneficial or, you know, I know that's like a, a deeply personal thing to sort through but I know a lot of people in that space are kind of trying to navigate doing the painful thing versus kind of avoiding the painful thing yes I'm so glad you named that because it is so unique to each person but overall if it's going to be something that escalates your isolation then it's probably something you need to lean into (laughs) because you don't want to stay isolated but you also have to be attuned to what's healthy for you in terms of your family dynamic or the dynamic with your friends. So knowing what leads to that, right? Like asking, is this because I want to isolate myself because it's uncomfortable or because it's really not going to be a good thing for me to go to this thing and see this person that's still like, is triggering to me or reminding me of a memory that I don't need to open up right now. Hmm. 
Yeah. Or maybe even um, as you were talking, I was thinking about if your family dynamic is like a, well, you should be over this, you know, like, so if something gets stirred up, it's not going to be a supportive environment, right? Like trying to think through those types of things as well. Right. And as we know, I mean, it's not only just how they're helping you honor your loved one's loss, but it's, you know, so many other family dynamics at play that your grief is only one component of. And so if, if that's going on, and because of your grief, on top of that, you need to step away. Okay, you can find a group of friends to stay and do Thanksgiving with, um, or, you know, do things that you need to do for yourself. But I, I do think there's a lot of nuance in it because you don't want to ultimately isolate yourself. So if you can still attend, please do, right? Like try to make space for that. But maybe within it, if you do go, have some options in place for ways to take a break during your time together if you need it. So maybe that's, again, as simple as stepping out of the house to take a brief walk outside or protecting time. Like if you're staying overnight at a family function, like give yourself space to go and take a nap or go grab the coffee or be the one that offers to go make the grocery run, right? Like whatever those things are that help protect the boundaries that you need in the process, um, I think are pretty important. I love even the practical ideas you were saying there of, oh, I'll go get the groceries or uh, I'll, you know, get there a little late so that I get to park in the back of all the cars. So I don't, you know, if I need to leave or exactly. I step in the bathroom for a couple minutes to recompose right. myself, right? Like even those practical things to where, you know, having, having some plans in mind for, okay, if there are parts that are painful because that is very likely having, you know, some sense of like, well, here's some options that I could do. I'm not just going to try to pretend like it's not happening or, you know, things like that. Yes. Yeah. A game plan like that can be so helpful. And I have so many clients that are just dread the holidays for so many reasons other than grief alone. Right. But how do you uh-huh. setting, up, <laughs> setting that uh, plan up, I think really helps you feel more empowered to know that you can get through it and you can do hard things and you can show up and still enjoy the parts of your time with family or friends that you want and need and also have some options to help you just allow some space for breathing room in the in the midst of that too. Yeah. No, that's really good. Well, one thing that I'm thinking of as we're talking is some of the experiences that those who are grieving through the holidays, not having a loved one for the first time versus someone who's has more longstanding grief. Um, are there some different things that you'd suggest for the, the folks who are navigating the holidays? Again, either, you know, this is the first time, the first, you know, each first Thanksgiving, first you know, Christmas or, or whatever the holidays are that they're celebrating versus those you know, with that longstanding grief. Yeah, no, I'm glad you're pointing that out too, because a lot of people that I work with are adults and they lost their parent at a young age. And so in their mind, they almost never had too many memories, even with their parent. So it's, I think a lot of, they often use language like, for me, I didn't get a before I only got an after when a lot of people Mm -hmm. who are grieving can say, well, before I used to remember all of these things that I used to do with, you know, your loved one, my, with my mom or with my grandfather. But for some people, 
the memories hardly exist, especially if they were a young child who lost their parent at a young age. So it's important to remember that some people don't have too many memories. So the ways that you're honoring the memory of a loved one who you didn't have as many memories created with uh, really is a different thing. So I would say um, rituals in general are the go-to. Like, how do you practice rituals over and over again that honor your loved one? So if it is something that you did with your family all together, don't stop baking the apple pie recipe that was your grandmother's just because she's not there anymore. Still do that together, right? Honoring those little rituals along the way are going to be the things that help like summon your loved one back to your mind in the moments where you think you've forgotten them and help them feel very present and you're keeping their legacy alive through through participating in these rituals. Um, if it's a favorite vacation spot that you went to, still go. Uh, go together as a family and you know make space for that. Yeah. But if you are somebody that didn't have as many memories, then, you know, if it's the parent telling the child stories and helping keep the memories that they had fresh and passing them on, you know, you're honoring that legacy and showing pictures in a scrapbook. It's, you know, this is if you were young and you didn't have those same memories, like you want to hear the stories over and over again, even if you weren't there to live through them. And that's another way of just keeping those memories alive. Uh, my aunt Kristen actually started a nonprofit while she was alive um, for young families that were facing the loss of a parent with a terminal illness. And it's called Inheritance of Hope. Um, and mm. what they do now is actually work with families through anticipatory grief, right? This um, mm -hmm knowing that you're going to lose somebody that you love and hoping and holding on to the hope that you're going to have so many more memories and years of memories with them. But if you don't, then how do you go ahead and create lasting memories that leave a legacy? And um, I think that's such a beautiful thing that she did. And she got to see it uh, develop and grow for five years. She and my uncle co-founded it together. Um, wow. Isn't that beautiful? It is. I mean, and I'm, I'm really glad. I mean, I wasn't thinking about this, but even just this idea of anticipatory grief, I'm also mm -hmm. really glad that you brought up what this term is and, and just thinking about um, the, the messiness and complexity of anticipatory grief um, and even thinking about it through the holidays. But I love you sharing this story about how your, your aunt and uncle had kind of elevated the the value of paying attention to and and walking alongside folks through that. I think that's beautiful. It's so beautiful. And my cousins, my three cousins were very young at the time at when she first got her diagnosis. And to see, I guarantee you, she has a letter for them at every birthday. <laughs> like, and you know, oh she, yes, yeah. she, she really did embrace this. Like, how can I live with intention right now? And of course, not everybody's given that opportunity. And it speaks to how intentional we can choose to be 
um, in the memories that we're creating now and the rituals that we're creating now um, while we are here, um, just as much as they're the rituals that we know we're going to carry with us when we're not. Hmm. Yeah, that is so good. Yeah, it is. And yeah, I think that that reminder to to seize the moments that we are given and to steward them well and to be mindful of how we're spending our time with that sense of intentionality. I love that. Yeah. So So whatever those rituals are, which I, you know, I think it informs the rituals that we're choosing to create just as much as it does uh, Mm -hmm. help us know which ones we're honoring for the ones that we've lost. So if it is drinking a favorite beverage, uh, watching a favorite movie, uh, cooking a commemorative holiday meal, um, making a gingerbread house together, whatever it is. Uh, my uh, family actually goes to Lakeland, Florida for Christmas, and that's my mom's hometown. And so there's a lot of lakes around, hence the name. <laughs> and so one of our things is to go and feed ducks. We would go and feed the ducks growing up as children with my grandmother. And so I love that that's something I get to do with Riley now and that I get to see the wonder and curiosity in her eyes and connect with that in my childhood self and know that that was a a special memory that I did not only with my mom, but with my grandmother. And, you know, it's just how do we carry on these traditions and keep passing them down from generation to generation? And I think that speaks to how not only we're so deeply connected with our own families in ways that can be so beautiful and sacramental, right? Mm -hmm. But also how we're so woven together into the family of God. These moments where we just see, gosh, this is something that my grandmother did with me. And now I get to see my mom do it with her granddaughter, who's my daughter that, you know, so whatever simple thing it is, I think it just like instantly widens your view and says, whoa, like there's something really deep and profound in the mystery of God and the ways that we are just passing these rituals, however small and subtle they are. Like these are the rhythms of life and mm. they're the the moments that just fill our hearts with gratitude too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love that. So speaking of like the kind of bigger lens of, you know, community and we're all part of the family of God, if I'm not someone who maybe personally has like an immediate, hey, I'm grieving through the holidays upcoming in the next couple of weeks or whatever it is, but, you know, I have friends or I have family that are in kind of an interpersonal relationship. Do you have any kind of thoughts or ideas on how I can best support or or walk alongside people in my life that may be going through grief during these holidays? Yes, absolutely. So the biggest thing that I always jump to, and I think it's a subtle shift in the way that we ask what somebody needs, is to ask like offers two or three specific things or times to meet and grab coffee instead of just asking like, or saying, I'm here if you need anything, like Mm. taking a moment and reframing the way that you say that, Mm. that really says, Hey, I'm free Monday, Wednesday, or Friday this week at 10. Can we go to Starbucks or can we go grab coffee? And, you know, being pretty specific about the time frame takes away this like weight 
of pressure on the person that is grieving to feel like they have to come up with an answer on the spot Mm. because it's hard for them to identify what they need, even though they, they want your support and they want your companionship and your friendship. um, It's hard to know how to ask for anything specific because the weight of the grief can be so strong in certain moments that it's hard to say, yes, can we go get coffee on Monday at 10? (laughs) Like you're not, if you're the one that's grieving, you're not thinking with that specificity. So I think um, if you're the friend or the family member that's trying to come alongside, offer something that's pretty tangible, like, hey, I'm going to come over and we're going to make tacos. (laughs) Like what night works best for you? Hmm. Right. So it's, here's what I'm offering and still giving them some space to have a say so, of course, you're not just uh, barging in on their lives, but you want to, I think it changes the way that we offer that support instead of, I'm just, I'll be thinking about you, which of course goes to a certain level, but in a way that's almost the sympathy versus empathy thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, To say like, yeah, thoughts and prayers, like I'm thinking about you, let me know if you, you know, that just adds more weight unintentionally, but it does, it puts more weight on the person who is grieving um, to come up with the answer and get back to you and send you the, you know, the, Hey, what about this? And what's your schedule? Can you hang out with me? Do you have time for me? You start to feel more and more like a burden when of course that it has the complete opposite intention. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's good. I think taking off that burden and being mindful of like that cognitive load of, of, you know, wanting to be supportive, but, and I think a lot of times folks probably have good intentions of being like, well, I want to be helpful, but I want to be helpful in the way that you really are wanting help right now, or, you know, just to be sensitive to that. But I think those practical suggestions of, you know, here's what I can do, you know, what time works for you, or, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that that's, that that is good. I, I, I like that. Yeah. Um, and as we know, I mean, if, if that's not the right thing, then they'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Feeling obligated. They'll say, well, right. actually, no. What about this? So it at least fosters the creative thinking of what do I need and allows them the space to think about it in more tangible ways, even if they don't have that answer up front. Right. Without the person grieving, having to think, well, I'd like to do this, but I don't know if that is what the person who's offering is wanting to do. Right. You know, yeah. Well, so uh, similarly along these lines, um, what about those within church settings, ministries, or just other faith communities? Like how can they um, be helpful or sensitive to and supportive of uh, those who are grieving in this season? Absolutely. Uh, We host every year at my church in Southeast Atlanta, a grieving during the holiday service. And I think we often hear of like a blue Christmas service, other services that just make space for grief. And our service at church is actually for grief in all forms, right? Um, Not just the loss of a loved one in particular, but I think that's also important to name the ways that we Mm-hmm. hold on to grief in so many different forms, right? It might be the loss of what might have been. Um, 
that is so broad, but we know what that means for us on an individual level. So just grief in so many different forms, grief with the state of the world that we live in and how do we just Mm -hmm. hold space for that heaviness. Um, But I think in general, churches can open up that space from a pastoral lens and we can do better, right? Uh, Remembering that in this season of Advent, as we're waiting for light, that's a longing that we all have and, and the grieving parts of ourselves that we all hold on to in our own ways um, are looking for space in that season of anticipation and waiting for light that we can connect to that, the, that symbol um, yeah. in a no, different way. I love that. I think that's beautiful. I I actually had it. I was just texting or you know messaging with Robert in our little chat box that we have. Yeah. Um. But just saying like that is such a great idea. I've never I hadn't heard of that before. But I think what a beautiful way to not um, bypass the pain that many folks feel during the holidays when it comes to grief for, as you're mentioning, like a variety of reasons, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, um, grief is so woven into so many parts of our lives, but we don't create that space for it. And I think that with all the ways that um, the holidays kind of elicit some of these extra emotions, um, I think that's a really good idea. I hope those of our listeners who are in a ministry capacity, I hope that's something they you know, take into consideration. Yeah. 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 And, you know, yeah. winter solstice season comes with that too. So some, right. some churches choose to do a service that longest night. And, you know, there's a way of offering to God our lament and asking God to hold us in God's embrace and to be near to us in the longest night until the light returns and morning comes. So the imagery is there. We're just not always taking hold of it to help, um, people connect to the depth and the, the ways that grief is connected to that. Mm. Yeah. I think, I mean, it, in any way, and it does take kind of this intentional thinking, right. But because the, the Christmas season and the like liturgical calendar, and even just like the new year coming tends to be like a forward thinking kind of, here's all this hope and joy and all this excitement. I think finding ways, if you're in a ministry capacity to recognize, like there's a lot of pain and grief that comes alongside that in a variety of forms. And they don't, that doesn't take away from the coming joy that doesn't take away, right? Like these two things, we can hold them in tension and it's not like this weird dichotomy because I think that's potentially what a lot of people end up hearing is, hey, all the songs are about overcoming and about light and about all the the new happy things. And there's never this moment of like, and things can be really hard and painful. And so I think finding ways to like create that space to to demonstrate we can hold these things in tension, I think is is Mm. brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even in the second week of Advent, when if you're, you know, doing hope, peace, joy, love, as far as thematically, like, if we're waiting for the Prince of Peace, then how are we seeing where God is showing us peace in times of despair and peace in times of suffering, and in times of mourning, and even, you know, elevating things like Psalms of Lament, that when we jump to the Psalms, even, you know, we jump to 
these celebratory sing praises, but there's a whole structure and space for psalms of lament in the Bible that give us this structure to move through our grief in a different way to like cry out to God. Uh, Psalm 13 is like one of those go-to. How long, O Lord, have you forgotten me forever? And then it transitions structurally into a, a space where there's like this journey toward hope. So you cry out at first, but then you say, but God, I know that you are good and I cling to your steadfast love and I, and I hope for your light to come. Like this type of language that reminds us that God is with us and offering that peace to us and, and is present along the journey. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, if you want to connect with Lanta, you can find her at lantacarol.com or at lettersbylanta.com. And you can find her on Instagram at lettersbylanta. We'll have links to all of that in the show notes. Lanta, thank you so much for joining us and giving us, you know, talking about this topic today before we close out. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? Yeah, no, I've really enjoyed this conversation You know, words that often come to mind for me that I think are so beautiful and eloquent are by Friedrich Buechner. In his book, Whistling in the Dark, he has these words, and I'll leave you with them. When you remember me, it means that you have carried something of who I am with you, that I have left some mark of who I am on who you are. It means that you can summon me back to your mind, even though countless years and miles may stand between us. It means that if we meet again, you will know me. It means that even after I die, you can still see my face and hear my voice and speak to me in your heart. For as long as you remember me, I am never entirely lost. Hmm. So good. Isn't it so good? Oh, yes. (laughs) Like, just remember. I think that's what we all hope for. after we're gone, that we are remembered. So how are we making space to remember those who we have lost? And holidays are such a great time to honor those rituals and this practice of remembrance. And of course, as I say that, I've heard those words from Jesus. Every time you eat and drink, remember me. That is so good. Lanta, thank you so much for coming on the show this week uh, and chatting with us. Thank you. I've so enjoyed this. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHpodcast at gmail.com. A final note, if you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.